And good morning, Brookside. It's great to see all of you. Hope you're having a great weekend. And uh, yeah, my name is Brad. If you don't know me, I, uh, I am privileged to work with our high school students here at the church. So um, it's really a privilege, a privilege for me to be up here teaching you. I teach them very, very often, uh, the high school students, but I'm down here um, not as much. So, um, But yeah, uh, Easter's a week away. We just, John just said that. Today is Palm Sunday. And uh, so we're going to talk about Palm Sunday today. This is the day we remember Jesus's triumphal entrance into the city of Jerusalem. And uh, so I'm going to start by reading one account of this story from the book of John. This, this account is uh, in all four Gospels. And, um, but man, what a, what a week. To, today sort of ushers in Holy Week. And so for us as Christians, sometimes I think we don't, we don't you know, sort of amp ourselves up for this. But we really should. I love this week. Um, Good Friday service. Don't miss our Good Friday service. It's always very cool and just preps us well for next Sunday for Easter. But if you have a Bible, if you have an app, turn with me to John chapter 12, verse 12. And you can follow along or it'll be on the screen here. John 12, 12. John writes, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So Palm Sunday is about Jesus being our king, coming as our king, our savior, our rescuer, our hero, you might say. And this passage is almost ironic. It's very ironic, in fact. They're shouting these things that Jesus here on this, it was a Sunday, and five days later, they're shouting at him again, right? Um, but a very, very different statement. How, how, what a picture even of humanity, right? And at times, our fickle nature. May God give us faithful hearts. But here, they're like, he's our king, he's coming, and five days later, they want him dead. But this account is also a foreshadowing of, of Jesus' return, of his coming back as king over us. And it's reminding us that Jesus is not just a king, he's the king, He's the one true king. He's the true hero we all need. And we're all looking for a hero to rescue us. We may not admit that. that. We may not think that. But we all are longing for a hero to rescue us. And in this text, John is trying to show us not just the fact that Jesus is our true hero. But he's trying to show us what it is about Jesus that makes him unique. That makes him a true hero. Why is Jesus so, so special? What is it about him that makes him a true and great king or a true hero? What John's showing us here is that Jesus' dazzling greatness, his royalty, his splendor, his power, his attractiveness, it makes him absolutely unique. He's like no other human being that's ever lived, right? On the one hand, you have the statement I just referenced, verse 19, look at how the whole world has gone after him. I mean, the Pharisees are like, okay, we're done. We're trying to, trying to sort of dethrone this guy or get rid of him, and they're like, Look at how a whole world has gone after him. Strong indications of Jesus' magnificence and his majesty and his power. But on the other hand, you have this statement in this passage, verse 15. See, your king is coming 
but seated on a donkey's colt, a meek and lowly animal, not a white stallion, which we might expect a militant leader or king to come riding in on. Very clear teaching about Jesus' lowliness, about his weakness and meekness and gentleness. He's a strong and fierce hero, but he's also a gentle hero. And these two qualities come together in Jesus. They're brought together and they're united in the same person. And that is what makes Jesus so great and so unique and so heroic. We need a hero. We all do. We look for, we're always looking for one. Um, we want someone to come and rescue us. We want someone to rescue us who's, who's human like we are, who can relate to us, who can sympathize with our weaknesses. But we also want one who's beyond human, right? We need more than a rich technology mogul who can craft a great iron suit and fly around fighting evil. It's awesome, but we need more than that. We need someone greater than a scientist who, when he loses his temper, turns into this raging, bull-breathing, green muscle man smashing things. That's wonderful, but we need more than the Avengers. We need more than Bruce Wayne. We need more than comic books and cartoons. We need someone real to deal with our problems. This morning... Know this, this is the medicine. This is the only medicine that can truly deal with humanity's deepest ailments, with our deepest sicknesses. So this morning, it's, it's Jesus that we're really seeking. It's Jesus that you're seeking. So the question is this, three things for Palm Sunday. Number one, what is true heroism? Secondly, how does it appear in Jesus Christ? And thirdly, how can it appear in us? The whole point is we all want a true hero over us, and we all want a true hero within us. But how do we get it? What is true heroism? How does it appear in Jesus? And how can it appear in us? So, first of all, what is true heroism? Of the great stories and legends of our society, true heroes come in all shapes and sizes. Many down through the centuries have been kings and rulers. And the great kings, the truly great kings, have this very strange combination of being both fierce and meek and modest. The ideal king is not just partly fierce and partly modest or meek or humble, but they're ultimately fierce. And they're also sensitive and tender. They're the kind of king that any queen would want to be married to and would want to like snuggle up with. But man, the true king, are, his eyes are the first to flash with anger at evil. But they're also the same eyes that are the first to cry in the presence of true beauty or in the presence of sorrow. He's someone who's the bravest and the sweetest. Or consider our modern-day heroes, right? There's, there's heroes all over the place. In fact, most of the time, uh, books get written about them. And then recently, uh, movies get made about them. So we have guys like Chris Kyle, who you might say, that guy, that's a true hero, American sniper. Or Louis Zamperini, the, the guy from Unbroken, who just uh, conquered all kinds of stuff. Tremendous odds, days at sea, stranded. Or consider this modern-day hero, if he really was one. The recent movie from maybe two years ago, Captain Phillips. This movie came out in 2013. Um, hopefully I won't spoil it for you. Hopefully by this point you've seen it if you're going to, and I won't give too much away. But Captain Richard Phillips was the captain of an American cargo ship that gets hijacked, got, got hijacked by Somali pirates off the coast of Africa. This ha the actual events happened in 2009. In fact, I, as I was reading about this a little bit, um, that was the first hijacking that an American cargo ship had ever experienced in 200 years. 200 years, um, and then this happens. And um, these, these pirates, these Somali pirates, get on board this huge cargo ship, and Phillips is bold and brave. I mean, he takes command of the ship. He does everything you would expect the captain of a ship to do in a situation like that. He stands up to them as much as he can. He doesn't lose it. He remains calm. 
But then when the pirates leave in a lifeboat, Phillips is also the first. He sacrifices himself for the crew, right? Gets into this lifeboat and uh, lets them take him along, leaving his crew, sparing his crew. And uh, man, I was on the edge of my seat the whole movie. If you haven't seen this, I haven't spoiled it. You need to see the ending. But I love, it was a true story, right? These other movies I mentioned, um, captivating stories. We all need a hero. And perhaps even in our culture, what we get even more is, not only do we need a hero, our culture tells us we have to be a hero. If you're going to be somebody, you got to amp it up. you got to bring it. you got to be a hero. But what I want to know is, why are we so attracted to this? Where did this idea come from? Why are we so desperate to be in the presence of heroes? It's a real question. And it's a real question, and it's an interesting question, somewhat because there never has truly been one. Not someone who is, like, ultimately fierce and ultimately meek. We see glimpses in people. You see, when you actually take a look at the real people many times, you see that they have inadequacies. Even I heard um, about the real Captain Phillips. Again, I didn't research this this week, but I remember when, as I, after I watched the movie, I heard some things come out that Phillips perhaps wasn't all that nice of a guy. He wasn't as bold and brave in the situation as the movie makes him out to be, right? He actually wasn't so willing to get into that lifeboat with those pirates. The record of real heroes just isn't that long of a list. We may seem or they may seem courageously heroic at certain points, but the people who know them best know that they have a whole slew of personal problems and issues. So where do we get the idea? Where does this idea come from? Was it from the Greeks? Was it just from ancient literature or ancient history? You know, what we do is as soon as we can get a little ways into history, you know, a hundred years past, or when this person finally dies, we rewrite their stories, right? And we, we maybe recreate them as heroes. And again, the movies maybe were vastly different than their real uh, human lives. We can turn them into heroes. Here's the thing, this, I, I, this ideal of a true hero it puts an impossible demand on human nature. Can you really get the bravest and the meekest, the boldest and the sweetest in one person? On the one hand, yeah, if we know, if you know many real war heroes, they find it hard even to live in civilized society. On the other hand, you realize that some of the more common everyday heroes that just react on the spot, you know, saving someone who's drowning or from choking, again, they act courageously in those moments, but they're still human. How do you get these two things together? Where did this come from? Well, here's one answer, of course, and you'd expect this in a church service. You read about him in the book of Revelation, just one place in the Bible. But uh, Revelation chapter 5, in verse 5, we read this. John writes, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. But verse 6 who does John see? Does he see a lion? Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. The apostle John is looking for a lion, and what he found was a lamb. Why is that? They're the same person, right? Both of these were the same person. The lamb who was a lion, the lion who was also a lamb. Who is this person? For me, it's hard not to think about, if you know the Chronicles of Narnia books by C.S. Lewis, um, this classic famous quote by Lewis, I haven't read all the books, but I've read um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe probably numerous times. And this is the most, uh, just the quote that I know from the movie, um, the easiest. But Mr. Bieber says this, Lewis says of Mr. Bieber, and he's referring to Aslan, the king of Narnia. Safe, said Mr. Bieber. Don't you hear what Mrs. Bieber tells you? Who said anything about safe? 
Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Uh, he's fierce. In the story, he's a lion. He's bold. He's brave. But he's also, he's good. He's tender. You see, the idea of true heroism, it didn't arise out of secular history. It didn't arise out of other religions. It doesn't come from the Greeks. The Greek gods knew nothing about the idea of the bravest warriors also being the meekest and the sweetest. It doesn't arise out of ancient literature. No, the idea of true heroism is a crazy Christian idea, right? But real Christians know it's not just a crazy Christian idea. There really is a hero like this, and it's Jesus, right? That's where the idea comes from. Where else would it have come from? It's not Spider-Man. It's not Iron Man. Again, it's not Bruce Wayne. It's not kings like Arthur or Lancelot. Our rescuer, our hero, is not a politician or a celebrity or an athlete. Who is it? It's Jesus. And it's in Jesus and Jesus alone that we see this. All other heroes point us to Jesus. But that leads to our second point. So if that's what true heroism is, how does true heroism appear in Jesus Christ? We, we only see a, a small depiction here, eight verses. But this very thing, it's this very thing about Jesus that we see he's both strong and stoic. He's meek and sweet. He's both of those united into one. He attracts men and women alike. People just, in the New Testament, they just flocked to Jesus, right? They just wanted to be around him. Crowds followed him everywhere because we know deep down that he is a true hero. He's the only true hero there is. So we see right here in this passage, we see two things. The, the highness of Jesus and the lowness of Jesus. I'm going to start with the lowness. First, we see the lowness. I alluded to this already earlier, but Jesus specifically asked two of his disciples to go and uh, to bring him a donkey's colt. This, and John actually gives us the least uh, details about this. All the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, give us a whole lot more about what the disciples actually encountered, and they asked this person, and, um, you know, they bring this, this donkey's colt to Jesus. But they go and they bring him a very, very meek, a very, very humble animal. Why would Jesus ride in on a colt? Well, first of all, he was specifically fulfilling a prophecy that had already been written hundreds of years earlier in the Old Testament. Part of it's quoted here in John 12, but it's Zechariah 9, verse 9. And this is a beautiful, this is a beautiful picture from Zechariah 9, verse 9, of, uh, of these two things. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, and yet lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Righteous and victorious, and yet lowly, riding on a donkey. See, for years, rabbis and students of the Old Testament tried to understand, how could this promised Messiah ride in on such a humble beast, on such a humble animal? If he's going to free us from everything that enslaves and oppresses us, how could this be? How could it be? And here's what Jesus says as he fulfills this prophecy. As he rides into Jerusalem, he says, listen, I, if I came on a white stallion to overthrow the Romans, to come in force, to be a militant leader to deliver you from the Romans, he says, what good would that be? Because you'd still die. Because you'd still have your guilt. Because you'd still have this problem of a meaningless existence. Yes, I can come and overthrow the ruling power. I can, we can overcome the political oppression. But what about your personal oppression? Years later, it would do nothing for that. He says, I've come to deliver you, to deliver you from something far more enslaving than the Romans. I've come to deliver you from death itself, 
So I don't come as a militant leader. I come in lowness and weakness. I've come to die in your place for your sins. I've come to take your place and to take your punishment. And I'm going to deal with the sin of which death is the result. He says, don't you see it? My weakness is my triumph. I'm a lion who's also a lamb. I'm so strong that I will lay my head down on the chopping block that your head ought to go on. Here's how Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century theologian and pastor, put it. Christ, he says, as it were, spent himself for us. Though we were enemies, yet he so loved us that he had a heart not only to look at our things, but to spend his own things for us, to forego his own ease and comfort and outward honor, and to become poor for us. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. He quotes from Romans 15.3. And not only so, but to spend himself for us, to spend his blood, to offer up himself a sacrifice to the justice of God. Not just as a cool example. Not just to be a, a, a hero. For our sakes, he came for you. Jesus says, I come in weakness so that I can free my people to worship their true hero. I don't come to get rid of the Romans. I come to get rid of death itself. And the beautiful thing that we see in this passage, how we know that this is the key to Jesus' true heroism, is because we see it in verse 16, back in John 12. We read this. At first it says his disciples, they didn't understand all this, only after Jesus was glorified. After he died, and then after he had just miraculously came back to life, Three days later, did they, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him? It wasn't until later for the disciples that God's wisdom came into their life and they realized Jesus' greatest weakness, it really is his greatest strength. And now this all makes sense. That's why we seek him. That's what makes him the true hero we all seek. But secondly, it's not just his lowness. Palm Sunday also shows us his highness, Jesus' highness. Now, where do we see this in the passage? Well, we're told about the palm branches, right? Verse 13, they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna. Now, if you have grown up in the church, you've heard this story plenty of times, and you probably know what the palm branches mean. To the people waving them, this was just a typical way, this was a typical custom that they would practice welcoming in a conquering hero, a conquering militant hero most of the time who would come and, again, they were expecting fully expected him to overthrow the Romans. It was a Jewish national symbol, and, um, and that's what they expected him to do. So for the people, that's what the palm branches mean. But to Jesus, it meant something else entirely. Because Jesus knew, Jesus knew that the next time he came back to Jerusalem, palm branches would be waving at him again. But that second time, it would be because of this, Psalm 96. We read this, verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. And then here it is. All the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. I think Jesus might have had that in mind. Or we read about this. Isaiah 55 tells us that when Jesus comes back for good, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst in this song before you and all the here it is again. All the trees of the field, they'll clap their hands. See, Jesus knows that the next time he comes back, the palm branches will be waving again, but that time they'll be attached to the trees. All of nature will cry out. He knows that on that day, everything, all of creation will bloom. 
the potential beauty and glory and power of creation will explode in the presence of the one true and great hero. Whatever is under him reigning, it'll sing, and even the trees will sing and clap. That's the majesty of this king. I don't mean to, I, I cannot bash any organization or establishment, but um, sometimes there's, uh, there's hotels or there's restaurants that you just go, maybe it's just under bad management. Or, you know, you go to a restaurant, or, uh, and then at some time later, you see a sign out that says, under new management. People are always excited to announce when there's new management. You go, maybe we should go back and try that out again. You want to know the reason your life is the way it is? Or the reason our world is the way it is? It's because it's under our incompetent management. It's, it's under our, our horrible management. Some of us are horrible managers of our own life. We need good management. We need to sit under good management. When Jesus, when our true hero comes, everything will spring to life like never before. Everything will bloom. And it won't just be with nature. It'll happen with you if, you're, if you know him. Let me just ask this before we, we move on to the third point. Do you know him? Do you not just know about him or come to church on Sundays to sort of hear these? What, what, do you really know him? Jesus, like a friend? Do you have a relationship with him? Is church, is worship more than a formality for you? Do you know him? It's Jesus you seek. He's the true hero that we're all longing for. His highness and his lowness is what makes him so great. Don't you long for this kind of life, this true life that he'll someday bring? Or have you been satisfied? Have you gotten satisfied with life the way it is? Life the way it is. You know, the good times, just um, they're gone in a second. You look in the mirror and you realize you're 40, you're 50, you're 60. The best friendship clusters only happen for a while, you know, and then they spread out. People get new jobs, they move away. Our looks and our bodies start to fade and decay, right? Everything starts to break down. Don't you long for something infinitely more? Or have you gotten satisfied with life the way it is under its present management? If you've put to death your desire for that kind of world, you maybe have put to death your own humanity because God has hardwired that into us, that that sense, that longing, that desire for that life. It's still there. He's the one you seek. He's glorious and he's humble and he's the true hero. He's the one that when he comes forth, the earth will quake and the hills will melt. On the other hand, he's the one that's so tender and so sweet that he invites children and prostitutes and beggars to his feast. And they come because they need him. And not only does he notice us, but he wants to become our friend. He wants to be in a relationship with us. And beyond that, he becomes real and personal and he takes a beating for us and he's spit upon and he's beaten for us. And ultimately he dies for us. God, save us. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes and he comes. He comes for you. For you. He comes to be your hero. And the last thing we have to ask is, is if this true heroism is in Jesus, is it really possible for this same power to come into our lives? Is it really possible? And the answer is, of course, absolutely. So point three, how can true heroism appear in us? See, if this isn't possible, what hope is there for us? And if it isn't possible, what hope is there for society? So I'm just going to give two suggestive pointers here to think about this week, things that Jesus brings into our life But here's the thing again, unless this true heroism of Jesus comes into your life, we tend to become either harsh and angry and bitter, 
sort of that fierce side, or we become passive and fearful, a pushover. You know, the two extremes maybe are you become a barbarian or you become a wimp. And most of us, at times, we know we tend to lean toward one of those or the other, but only he can unite those two things together. Again, because of our incompleteness, because we're not under his management, many times we just settle for less than that. But the only way you can have his true heroism come rushing into your life is if you let him right into your life this morning as your true hero, whether it's for the first time or for the 50th time. But there's two things that he can do, he'll give you. First of all, if you make him your hero, he'll create in you a servant heart because Jesus is a servant and he came to bring a life of service. Jesus comes meek and lowly. He came to this earth to serve and he will make you a servant if you let him. See, a servant is neither harsh and angry, nor are they passive and fearful. Real heroes are strong enough to be servants. They come into people's lives and they listen. They really listen. A real servant is somebody who says, I don't care if I'm getting anything out of this relationship because I'm here to serve. And Jesus satisfies my needs elsewhere. I come, I listen for what their people's needs are and I meet their needs. Or I listen for ways that I can overlook a wrong and forgive that person or not take offense to that thing. I build a person up with real, honest compliments. Not to stoke my own pride or to feed my own self-worth. I give people compliments because they're really true and I wouldn't say them if they weren't true. They say, I'm not doing this to get something in return. Christ has already given me all that I really need. Christ has already given me a true identity. So they listen, they serve, they find a way to meet needs. It takes true heroism to do that. We tend to either use people or we let people use us. But a Christian is someone whose whole mindset is to serve others. When will we realize that the way to win our world is to serve? In your job right now, maybe, or in your day-to-day routine, how can you work and serve and work with integrity but bring a servant's heart? You don't need to quit your job. You don't need to work at a church or an orphanage or a nonprofit. God has you right where you're at in that job or in that home or in that school for a reason. Do good. Bring a heart of service to whoever's around you, even if they're your enemies, even if they're rotten to you. Because you have the capacity, you have something different inside of you so we can work and bring a good work ethic and serve. So that's the first thing. He can give us a servant's heart. But here's the second thing Jesus will give you. If it comes riding into your heart today for the first time or the 50th, he'll give you not only a servant's heart, but a courageous heart. And that couples the servant's heart pretty well, right? We need a, a courageous heart. That's what a true hero has. He has tremendous courage. But now there's a place in the book of Luke where uh, Jesus sends his disciples out and he gives them supernatural powers to go out and um, to heal the sick, to drive out demons. And uh, in Luke chapter 10, they come back and when they come back, Jesus sort of says, hey, how did it go? Like, how was it? And they're, they're like ecstatic. They go, it was incredible, Lord. Demons, submit to us in your name. I mean, this is power. This is amazing. And Jesus in Luke 10 verse 20 actually rebukes them to a degree. And he says this, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what you should rejoice in. He's saying if you want real hero-like courage, you don't get it by going after sheer brute-like strength or power. 
You don't try to power up over somebody else. No, if you want real, the real courage of a hero, you've got to hear what Jesus says to you. Jesus comes and says, I'm the true hero. I've come to save you. And when I die in your place for your sins, I will, I will be your representative before the Father. So that when the Father looks at you and sees that you're my child, or that you're a child of God, that you're a friend of God, he will see the perfection of Christ. He won't see your ugliness and your inadequacies and your sin. He'll see an absolute beauty. Because Jesus says, I'm your representative. What he's saying is this. Jesus says, all of your problems, our lack of heroism, our lack of courage, they are not due to a lack of power and leadership over others. We need to forget about, forget about our positions and our titles and our credentials. Forget about our trophy cases and our accomplishments. Forget our accomplishments completely. He says, if you want to act in the world like a hero, if you want to be a true hero, you need to know that your name is written in heaven. That's the only thing that's going to last. It's where true power comes from. And so he says, surrender. He says to you, surrender to the only one who truly has power. You know, some of us, we toss and turn in bed at night, even right now. You lost sleep last night because... There's something going on in your life, and I don't want to diminish it. We're worried, we're stressed, we are deathly afraid that we're going to lose out on this thing, whatever it is that's, that's on our minds. Temporary things that we can't loosen our grip on. Again, some of those things are valid. We need to work through them. I'm guilty of this. But Jesus comes along and he says, have you forgotten where you stand? Have you forgotten that you're a child of the one and only God? If your name is written in heaven, what else do you need? He says, you have total access to the God of the universe. Our problems come because we don't know that our names have been written in heaven. Now again, I understand this is a discipline. It takes telling yourself, why does this thing, whatever it is, this person, this emotion, my children, why are they wearing on me so much? But you can tell yourself, you think about work tomorrow, you can tell yourself, my name is written in heaven. My name, if you're a Christian, my name is written in heaven. I am fine. Life is good. I am blessed. Why am I letting this thing wreck my life? Here's maybe the main point for today. If you forget uh, everything else, maybe remember this. True heroism is knowing who the true hero is. And it's keeping him in his rightful place. It's knowing who the true hero is and keeping him in his rightful place. One final story. You've heard now the story of Palm Sunday. Many of us know that. But have you heard the story of Palm Monday? It goes like this. A little donkey gets up on Palm Monday. and says, wow, this is going to be a great day. Yesterday was incredible. He walks down into the marketplace and, and he says to everybody, here I am. And nobody even turns to look at him. He thinks, that's, that's sort of funny. So he, he walks down a little further to where more people were. And he says again, here I am. And everybody says, what are you doing? Get, get out of here. Get, and they throw things at him and they push him away. You stupid animal, get out of here. And he comes back to his mother and he says, he says Mama, I, I don't get it. Just yesterday, you know. Just yesterday. And his mom says, Silly child, without him, you can do nothing. See, it depends on who's writing you. 
depends on who's guiding you. It depends on who's directing your life. It depends on who your true hero is. Make him your true hero. And this first time when Jesus came, he came meek and lowly, riding on a donkey's colt. The next time he comes, he comes in the clouds of heaven. This time when he came, he came to be torn. The next time he will come to tear apart all evil. He is the true hero. This morning, he is the one that you seek. Let him rescue you. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we desperately need a true hero. God, we all do, whether we admit it or not. God, so often my pride just gets in the way and I say, I'm fine. I can do this. But Lord, we need, I need you. We all do. And God, so often we're so fickle, we can, we can say one day, Jesus, you're my king. And five days later, we can say, forget you. Crucify him. I don't even care about you anymore. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to keep our hearts undivided. But Lord, come and rescue us. Even this morning, God, if it's for the first time or for the 50th, will you, will you ride into our lives today and give us a servant's heart and give us a courageous heart? God, help us to, to meld these two characteristics together, that we're bold and fierce and we're confident. And Lord, we're sweet and tender. But God, that's only found in you. God, we need you. And we pray this, God, help us to do this all week. Help us to serve and be courageous, God. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.